that reminder this morning to be still and know that he is indeed God. Uh, we have been working through this series, uh, Known, and uh, it's kind of a bit of a mess, but that's okay. Because I had visions in January when I was planning this out and praying and planning out our what we're going to do for Lent, by the way, not just around the corner, uh, we start next week, and uh, getting ready for as we move towards Good Friday and the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And so as I was looking at this and, and I came up with this idea known, I had seen a few slides and uh, I thought, this is, I think this is good. This is something we should talk about. And, and so uh, in the midst of that, I uh, didn't realize that here I thought we'd be back in church and a couple of these were done online. And so here we are, a couple of them have been done in-house. And so here we are at our fourth Sunday of this series, uh, Known. And uh, we want to do a little bit of a recap because of that, because everybody's here, there, and everywhere. And I know you probably, some of you might have difficulty reading the print today, uh, but I will go over it just to give you a bit of a recap of what we've done. And so first week, we looked at that wonderful passage of Psalm 139, and I said it's been life-changing for me when I began to realize the truth of this. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Say that with me this morning. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, one of the funny stories of that passage is I've used this for ladies' retreats. And one of the things they were supposed to do on the Friday night when they uh, went back to their room was they were supposed to stand in front of the mirror, naked, even worse, eh? God and say mercy. that, <laughs> and say that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Apparently it was life-changing for some women. I don't know about that. But it is. It's, it's God knows us. The truth of that passage is God knew us before anyone else knew us. He knew us in our mother's womb. You are known today by God. Then we looked at, I am who you say I am. And so it's living my life to the full potential and the promises of God. And in that passage from Matthew 16, we looked at that encounter with Jesus and Peter and the disciples. And who do the people say that I am? And then Jesus asked this hard question, who do you say that I am? And Peter came forth and said, you are the Christ. And then we began to realize that it's that message that Christ will build his church on, that declaration one by one when we all come to that moment when we know God and we say, you are the Christ, you are my Christ, you are the King and the Lord, my Savior. But we flipped that question a bit, and at the end we said, so God, who do you say I am? See, it's not social media and all that the world thinks that I present myself. What's more important than anything is to know that God knows me and has created me for a purpose and a plan in my life. And so I am to know him, but he also knows me. And where I find my identity is not through social media. Where I find my identity is in Christ and who he says I am. That can be life-changing for some. Then last week we looked at the fact that, yes, we know Christ fully, and that is wonderful, that through Christ and his sacrifice and, and, and us accepting that wonderful gift of salvation and what he's done for us, I can know Christ. And so he knows me, and I know Christ. And that is so wonderful to have that experience. 
But God has created us for relationships. And in that relationship, I don't just know God, but we are now been placed in the family of God, the church, not the building, the people, where we live out in relationship one with the other. So I don't know just God, I know you, and you, and you, and you know me. And if we don't, then something's wrong. We need to be spending more time together getting to know each other as the body of Christ. And now this week, if I, God, knows me and I know God and we know each other as the body of Christ, our responsibility is to make him known. And that's our passage we heard today about the sower. Now, this week, uh, I don't know why they do it in February, but it's National Agricultural Day. Did you know that? Hey, farmers, did you know that? Tuesday? And, and so we had put up on Facebook a few places, thank the farmer. Now, here's your opportunity for all the farmers here. Can you say that with me? Thank, thank you. you. Say it again. We can do it a little bit better. Thank, thank you. you. And so that was the opportunity this week to thank the farmers for all that they do. And we think about agriculture. And Jesus in his day knew that he was in an agricultural community, a culture. They understood it. And our, uh, our farmers are the best people to understand the importance of sowing. Right? If you don't sow the seed, there is no... Oh, come on, we can do better than that. There's no harvest. You gotta sow the seed. And this is what Jesus is saying here to have the principle of sowing and reaping. And I like what the Apostle Paul said. Uh, he said in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, you know this passage. Remember this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And so we have this parable today. Of a very familiar parable, we many of us have learned about it in Sunday school. But it's it's I believe how we're using this today is to say that our church. Remember, we said that we're all praying about what's next. What do we do as a church next, coming out of a pandemic? See, the evangelistic fruitfulness of our church now and into the future is directly related to what to sowing. How much sowing we do? There is no harvest in the church if we haven't been sowing. That's, that's the law of nature that God has put in place. And that's what Jesus is making known here. He's saying that it's important for us to make him known. And so part of making him known is he makes a statement, and that's the emphasis of our passage today that we're emphasizing. A sower went out to sow his seed. And Jesus tells us that the seed is the word of God. The seed is the kingdom of God. That Christ came to sow the kingdom. And he first of all sowed it into those 12 disciples and out into the communities and those around him. And I like, you know, that explanation of the different soils because Jesus, you know, sometimes it's just so clear. And if you can't get this, Jesus even explains it to you. In verses 18 to 23, we heard Paula read the story, the parable, and then Jesus actually even explains this parable, what he's talking about. And I'm just going to use the scripture here at this point. He talked about the, uh, the path, right? When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart, 
And this is the seed sown along the path. And then verse 20 and 21, Jesus explains, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And then there's among the thorns, Jesus explains in verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refer to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And we like the good soil. Our farmers out there like the good soil. In verse 23, Jesus said, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Good seed and good soil produces a great harvest. Right? You know, the whole point of a seed is for it to multiply. No farmer goes out in the spring, which won't be that far away now, will go out in the spring and take that piece of potato, that seed, and put it in the ground and think they're going to go back in the fall, and all they're going to find is what? That one piece? Rotten? No. What they're hoping for is that as that one piece is planted underneath, oh, there's going to be some big, long, thick, Russet potatoes over there underneath. Well, there's others besides russets. But it's amazing if you think that little piece of seed of potato is put in the ground and then to see the harvest, the amazing harvest, because it is multiplied. And this is God's desire for us as the church of Jesus Christ. And here at Elmsdale at the corner, that as we plant the seeds, God is wanting it to multiply. That's his reason for not taking us home yet. We're still here because God is wanting to see a great harvest. And so today I say to you, we are here to make him known. That's what we're called to do. Our calling is to make him known. We learn from this parable that we are sent out to sow the seeds of the kingdom of God, spreading seeds abundantly. Notice that. He scattered the seeds. It's not for us to decide the worth of the soil and to discriminate who we think deserves it and who doesn't. <laughs> Notice the sower went out and scattered and it fell on different soil. But also realize today that the seed, the word of God, is powerful. Amen. It is powerful and it will bring a harvest of multiplication. And so we need to understand today that God's seed is powerful in our hands. We sometimes look, you know, evangelism is one of the hardest, uh, one, money is the hardest to speak to a church about, and then evangelism is the next hardest to speak to a church about. And, and so we have to realize today that, that, you know, even though how difficult this sounds, <clears throat> the gospel in our hands is powerful because it's the word of God, the seed. The power is in his seed. And so sometimes we feel we can't do this, but it's not about us. It's about him and his word spreading and bringing forth a harvest. Do you realize the ratio here? You've heard people probably preach on this. One in four. 25%. See, often in the church we'll get 
use this expression as a new, good Nufi expression. I say it all the time. Don't get your knickers in and off over the other 75%. You know, like that 70, we look at all the things that we did wrong and why it's not working and all that stuff. And God says right here in this passage, don't look at the 75%, the seed that's been lost. Look at the seed that's been planted and that multiplication that it brings. You know, if, if you only worried about all the seed that didn't plant, didn't, you would never get into the field to see the harvest and to bring the harvest in. And so there's a ratio here that Jesus knows about. But we know that truth as we already spoke. No scattering, no harvest. And see, often in the church, we think if we pray hard enough, there'll be a harvest, but we've done no scattering. It doesn't work. There has to be that scattering of seed. How people come to faith. There is a group of statisticians who in the last 30 years, this has not just been a COVID thing or the last decade, 30 years they've studied the church. And they've asked over 100,000 Christians the same question. And they have done it in 28 countries. So this is wider than Canada and North America. And you will find the same truth, no matter where you are at in the world, you'll find the same truth. They ask people, what factor has had the greatest influence in your decision to become a Christian? What factor had the greatest influence for you to incorporate yourself into a family of God, the church? And it's interesting to look at these numbers, because I think we need to look at this, because sometimes we believe differently than what the stats tell us. And so if a person had a special need, well, we see that was very, very low, isn't it? That that's why they came to faith. We believe by putting up the church sign and, and doing things that people are going to walk in. Well, yeah, there's always a few who walk in, but the number is very, very low. Uh, pastor or church staff, look at that number, less than 3%. See, people believe that somehow it's the pastor's role or the professional role for people to sow the seed and bring the harvest in. It is the furthest from the truth. We are here to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's what scripture says. My role here is to equip. It's not to do it for you. It's to equip. I have my responsibility as a believer in Christ to continue to sow the seed. And as a pastor, I want to sow my seed also. But it's not the pastors who bring people into faith. Often what you need to realize is that pastors happen to be in the church when somebody kneels at the altar and prays with them. But they've had nothing to do with them getting there. Right? They happen to be the right person at the right time. And so visitation, telemarketing, social media, praise God for our website and Facebook and our messenger group. The messenger group has been set up so we can encourage one another and pray for one another when we're separated because of the pandemic. But it's never been used as a tool to win people to Christ. And so we need to realize that all of this does not really draw people into Christ. Now, it's interesting, Sunday school and small group is one of the highest numbers there. And uh, interesting enough, uh, that's what the Alpha program is based on. The whole Alpha program that hit England and brought renewal and revival to the Anglican Church in England and now has been used around the globe was based on the fact of small group study, bring you into my home, love on you for eight weeks, and pray for you and see you come to faith. And so anytime we have Bible studies or Sunday school, it's a great place for people to come to faith. 
Here's the surprise, evangelistic crusade. Half a percent to one percent. See, we believe that if we put all this money in, into all these big events, that's how people are going to get saved. Praise God, some do get saved. I've met people who have got saved. But that is not the main way that people come to faith in Christ. And uh, other church programs, oh, the church likes to spend so much money on programs. We've got to have this program and that program and all kinds of programs. And now the programs, I believe, are really to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Most times, programs will not reach people for Christ. So it's okay to know that. Why we do what we do. What is the greatest way that people come to Christ? Relationships. Relationships. People come to Christ, 75% to 90, some stats have said 95% of people come to faith because somebody close to them, a friend or a relative, lived out their faith before them and shared their faith. And that is how they came to faith. Why do I say all that? This is what sowing the seed is about. God wants us to sow the seed of relationships, relational evangelism. It is the method that Jesus used. It is the method how God is made known in our day. This is what we need to do coming out of a pandemic. But the truth of it is, this is what the church has done for over 2,000 years. Relationships. Last week we talked about we have a relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have relationship with each other if we are the body of Christ. And guess what God wants to use to reach out to people in West Prince? Relationships. Relationships. Are you with me still? Or are you sleeping? See, I told you, evangelism, you're going to have to really work hard to stay awake in this. Because the enemy will want you just to zone out. Not my job, I'm not going to do it. Relationships. Your relationships are the very place where God wants to work. The biblical term is oikos. It is used a lot throughout the New Testament, uh, in the book of Acts, and other places. Oikos, say that with me, so I know you're awake. Oikos. oikos. You know what a lot of people say? Oh, that's the yogurt. No, it's not. <laughs> that's not the yogurt. The yogurt took the name, the biblical name, uh, which means household. Now, we've heard a lot about household, haven't we? You cannot gather with anybody but your immediate household. But the biblical term household didn't mean just your immediate family. It meant more than that. It's the place where you live and work and play and serve and shop. It is, you're looking at this. This is, this is my oikos. This is where my friends who are close to me, my neighbors, my schoolmates. So this is for all ages. This isn't just for, oh, once you turn 22. This is all ages. Relatives, my relatives. Uh, where I work. Other can be where I volunteer. Some of you would say, well, Pastor, I'm retired now, so I don't work anymore. So I don't have to do that. <laughs> Congratulations to Pam on her retirement this week. And uh, no, where you volunteer, where you like to go and work out. No amens to that. Uh, where you do your sports, hobbies, crafts, whatever area that you are, <clears throat> that you rub shoulders with people on a regular basis, that is where God is wanting 
you to make him known. It's not complicated. It's not some fancy system. It is the biblical system that God has used all these years, and it has continued to work for the church for over 2,000 years, and it will continue to work in the days to come. Do you know, if you go anywhere and check and see where the church is growing around the globe, you'll see this strategy working. I've studied some of the strategies in South America, and they're using this, and everyone's amazed. Oh, look at how the church is growing in South America. It's based on this. If you study and see a few churches in Canada that are growing, and there's only a few, by the way, you will see this in action. This relational evangelism, this just where I am at, that's where I share my faith. Right where God would have me rub shoulders with people, this is where I share my faith. God is wanting you to sow the seed right there. This is your field. This is your field. Don't worry about somebody else's field over there. <laughs> and wonder what's happening in their field. You have a field. You have a mission field that God is wanting you to sow his word on a regular basis. And just to share your faith with people on a regular basis. That is where God wants to do the greatest work, I believe, in the days ahead for us as a church. So our, our calling is to know God and to make him known. Where's my relational connections that I have? See, they found out, you know what the number is? It's not big. They said most people have eight to 15, somewhere between 8 to 15 contacts who live within a driving close proximity, who don't know the Lord, who are at different places in their journey, but most people have somewhere between 8 to 15 contacts. Now, I, I just thought about that. You look around our church, and every one of us, if we took that bottom number, Every one of us have at least eight people. Think about the exponential growth and the harvest that God could do. Think about it. Get a vision for it of what God could do. If we think about the eight people that all of us know, that we rub shoulders with, that are in our family, maybe we work with them, maybe they're a neighbor, maybe they're a, a, a restaurant that we go to, that we get to see that person on a regular basis. Praise God, the bakery is one of the best places to sow seed. <laughs> Hallelujah. Last Saturday, Pastor Mike and I went for breakfast, and we were able to share our testimony of faith right there at the bakery with people, someone we just met, connected to someone else. And so God has that in all of our lives. Every week, there are people where we move that we know that God wants us to continue to sow that seed. Do you know, it, it, I like what uh, Pastor Tom Mercer said. Throughout the New Testament, whenever God's Spirit changed a life, a world changer was born, whether it was a demon-possessed man, a swindler named Zacchaeus, a royal official with a dying son, a tax collector named Matthew, a centurion named Cornelius, or a businesswoman named Lydia, or a recently unemployed Philippian jailer. What were they all told to do? They were sent back home to their oikos to go and make him known. Right there. That's where they were sent. Some of them wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus said, no, 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 no. 
That's not how it works. You don't get just to follow me around. You need to take what God has planted in your heart and how he's changed and transformed you and go forth and share it in your oikos. Those few people that you know. Begin to share it there. And as God seminates his word in the hearts of others, we will see them come to faith. It's interesting in John chapter 1, you see this in action. And how you see it in action, think about it. We could have spent time in scriptures, but we won't today. We don't have the time. But think about it. John tells us in chapter 1, verses 40 to 41, Andrew brings who? His brother to come meet Christ. And then in 44 and 45, we're told that Philip brings who? His friend, Nathaniel, to meet Christ. See, there's the oikos already in action right at the beginning of the gospel. It's time for us as a church, I believe, to return back to the strategy that's in God's word, the strategy that's been used by the church uh, for years and has worked, and it's time for us to realize that's all that God is calling us to do. And so here's some practical steps. Uh, Paula is going to be at the back of the church after, as you leave, with a piece of paper that has these steps and some places that you can write down people's names, if you're willing to do that and want to do it. And, and so it's not complicated. It's very, very simple. But what God is looking for are people who are willing to trust him in this. Willing to say, yes, Lord, I know you. You know me and I know you and now you want to help me make you known in my extended household. And so the first thing we do is we need to list. And so whether you use that piece of paper I'm providing for you today or just have another place in your Bible that you list some names... And it might take a week or two to think about it because the Holy Spirit will begin to show you who are those 8 to 15 people in your life. Who are they? Who, are, who is it that you rub shoulders with on a regular basis that God is wanting you to put in your Bible and have it right there? And intentionally you say to God, with your help, I want to reach these people for Christ. No amens. And then the next best thing you can do for people is pray for them. And so as you put that list of names, as the Holy Spirit directs you, you then pray for them. And what you're praying for is the Holy Spirit will begin to soften their hearts. God will begin to soften their hearts. He'll go ahead of you and begin to do the work. He'll begin to show you. He'll also give you eyes to see what's happening. Instead of us with our blinders on in our busy world and it's a pandemic and I can't touch people and I can't do this and i got to do that. The Lord is one who wants us and we're going to start to pray. God, take the blinders off and let me see where you're already working that I can come alongside and be your instrument. And so we're going to pray for that, that God will open up our eyes to see that. Here's the part that comes harder for us. It's to invest. God is wanting you to invest in somebody else's life. Who is here today a believer because someone took the time to pray for you and invest in your life? Most of us. Somebody went into a closet of prayer and prayed for me. Somebody, as I shared our testimony, came knocking at our door. Who were friends of my parents. Who took an interest in us. 
and decided, instead of hearing my parents continue to pray for us, decided to come knock at the door and invest in us. Rosemary Redshaw, pastor, and her husband decided to invest in us and take us out to our restaurant. And twice we did that, but those were pivotal moments in our journey of faith as we sat at a restaurant as non-believers and they shared with a pastor at that. And they shared their faith with us and encouraged us and challenged us. You see, it's people investing in us that makes all the difference. God is asking you to invest in some people. It shows compassion, care, coming alongside people in their time of need. What is it that God would have you to do? And you know what? It's not going to be some big thing. It's going to be the smallest thing that you do that shows a bit of interest in somebody else and what they're going through. Then you invite. Do you realize that Barner did a, a stat on that, that it's 50%? 50% of people said, so one out of two said they would go to church, they would go to an activity if they were only invited. Isn't that interesting? And so we don't stop inviting and so, but you need to do it in prayer and discernment of the Holy Spirit, the right time, the right activity, whether it's a Bible study group or another activity or a worship service, God knows. But we also need to invite and invite them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then what's step five, prepare? I want to be the best example of Jesus and this body of believers that I can be. You know that? I, I want to be so mindful of my speech, of my attitudes, of what I'm doing, that when I am out, I am modeling Christ to West Prince. I hope and pray that's your prayer. I want to model Christ in crafting. I want to model Christ in quilting. I, I want to model Christ in Bible study. I want to model Christ when I'm out in the store and shopping. And if I take the time to speak to someone or show concern or I just stop everything and pray with them right there, I don't care who's watching. I want to model Christ. And I can be a better model of Christ tomorrow than what I've been today. Right. And so it's praying, God, prepare me to be your sanctuary. Right? Full of his Holy Spirit. I, I want to be the aroma of Christ. I want to walk into a restaurant and they sense the presence of Jesus because I am there. Right? I want to be so full of Jesus that others know it and feel it and sense it. Not coming down and doing what? I'm here. That's not what God is asking us to do. We give a reason for our faith when they ask us. But up to that point, we come in and we walk alongside of them. Right? We walk alongside of them. We show care and compassion. We hurt when they hurt. And we rejoice when they rejoice. And we model to them what it looks like to be a person of faith. That is what God is asking us to do. Not very complicated. It's been working for years. <laughs> it's been working for centuries. It takes, you know, just like our farmers know, it takes time and patience and water and nurture. This will not be a quick fix. This takes time and energy and investment and prayer and inviting and, oops, no, I'll invite you again and I'm going to love on you anyway and I'm going to show you Jesus. And eventually, 
God is going to bring forth the harvest. We have to believe that again, church. Do you believe that? Amen. Some of you have tried for years and it's not been working and you're giving up on it. Oh, you say, oh yes, pastor, I pray for people. But somehow the urgency and the desire and, and the joy, it's hard when especially our family members and those closest to us. We've got to be in this for the long haul. We've got to see this through. A farmer doesn't plant the seed and take off to Florida at harvest time and then come back three years later and, and, and think they're going to bring in a harvest. There's God's timing. God says now the harvest is ripe when? All the time. God says the harvest is ripe, ready, and now all the time. And so this is our call to make him known, to know God and make him known. And so we need to believe that today, that God is still wanting to make himself known through you and through me. You know, it's interesting, somebody made this statement, and hear me right. God is looking for, and this is biblical, God is looking for disciples. Because it is disciples who go and make disciples. We have been so busy as the church in North America, what have we been looking for? Decisions. Now, decisions are important, hear me right. Because I said to people on Wednesday night, that decision is like that doorway. All of a sudden, I see a doorway that I've never seen before. All of a sudden, I realize I need Jesus, and He is my Savior and my Lord. All of a sudden, I realize that I am a sinner, and that I deserve only His wrath. But because of God's mercy and love, all of a sudden, I see. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's what we're praying for. But it's only a doorway that I walk through and I continue daily to walk with the Lord. And I want to grow and I want to mature. And it is those people who are going out, scattering the seeds. And as they scatter the seeds, God begins to do the work. And God begins to germinate. We don't need just decisions. The church in North America has been filled with decisions. You'll go and talk to people. Do you know Christ? Oh, yes, I love Jesus. But there is nothing in their life that would show that they do. And there is definitely no fruit. What we need are disciples. People who have made a decision for Christ. But daily, got quiet in here, daily, they make a decision for Christ. Daily. I take up my cross and follow him. Daily, no matter what I go through, no matter even if I'm in a bomb shelter, I am going to serve him and I'm going to praise him. Daily, I serve him and decide to follow him all the days of my life until my last breath. I'm going to serve him and I'm going to scatter seed. And I'm going to believe the Lord that he is doing a great harvest and a great work. Even when I don't see it with the physical eye, I believe it with faith. Because his word is true. And it does not come back void. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. It's not technology, my friends, that the church needs. It is not some fancy new program that the church needs. All of those things can be used. They're good. But it's not that what's going to bring the church forward in the days ahead. It is you and me sowing the seed of God in the relationships Around us. I like what Rebecca Manley Pippard said. She had a book years ago called Out of the Salt Shaker. 
She said, I once asked a woman if she felt comfortable about evangelism. Oh, yes, she responded. I do it twice a week. Somehow it sounded more like taking multivitamins. <laughs> evangelism isn't just something you do out there and then you come back to your living room. Evangelism involves taking people seriously, getting across to their island of concerns and needs, and then sharing Christ as Lord in the context of your everyday natural living situations. I like this scripture, and I already referred to it. This needs to be our prayer today as we bring this series to a close. Jesus said in Matthew 9, verses 37 to 38, you know this passage too. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. It's not rocket science, pretty simple, but now to go and do it. Pastor Mike has that statement. It's the response after, after the response. You know it, Mark. It's the response after the response. What does that mean? I could do an altar call today and we could kind of say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that moment of decision. What are you going to do this week about it? What are you going to do this month? What are we going to do this year as a church? What are we going to do about it? That is where the rubber hits the road. I don't know where the statement comes from, but it's probably another good new one. The proof is in the pudding. <laughs> the proof is how we live our life. And so I challenge you today, there's pieces of paper there, something just a tool to help you. Uh, put that list in your Bible. Begin to pray and ask God, who are the people, Lord, in my close proximity that do not know you, who are maybe a prodigal, Maybe they're on the journey of faith somehow, but you have not yet made a decision. Who would you have me invest in? Who would you have me pray for? Who would you want to use me to influence their lives? And then leave the rest with God. And let's just watch together and wait together for that wonderful harvest that I believe God is wanting to bring in. Now, hear me right. This church is sowed and sowed and sowed. I hear the stories of faithfulness over the years, of sowing into junior church and sowing into Kids Connection, sowing in so many different ways. Let us believe together that God is wanting to bring that harvest in too. It's not just start now. That the seeds that have been planted over the century, over these years, these decades, God is wanting to bring them to fruition too and bring that harvest in. And so I say to you, well done, good and faithful servants. Hear me right. But I believe there's work for us to do now coming out of this pandemic. And I believe every person seated here today can be a part of what God is wanting to do next. Amen. Lord, help us today. 